This week is another example of me having the good fortune of sitting down with an awesome friend and having a conversation about their burgeoning business. Often the feedback from these episodes involves some version of, I love these podcasts because I feel like I'm right there with you, drinking a beer with you guys. Well, good news. Matt Del Vecchio and I did just that as we discussed the origin story and the ins and outs of his company, Duckfoot Brewery, which is based right here in San Diego. Matt starts by schooling us on the different scales that define beer and where hazy IPAs fall on those scales, and how a particular wedding gift changes life. Matt is actually my former neighbor in the Lucadia area of Encinitas, California. I moved, he didn't, and I've had the pleasure of literally tasting his success as his beer business has grown over the last six years. We talk about his New York beginnings, his move to San Diego to start the brewery, the creativity behind the brand, and Matt makes a solid case for leaving your surfboard at home and taking a hand plane instead. We wrap things up with some insight into Matt's participation in a fish cover band and a heartfelt story about a family-owned Jeep Cherokee, which I was super excited to hear. All that and more in this week's episode. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. Cheers, Mr. Wesley. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for uh, for taking the time, sir. Nice to be able to have a beer and hang out. And yeah, and, uh, as I say, lay on, down a track. On a, yeah, let's lay down a track on a on a Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, so you were describing you were about to educate me on the oh, yeah. bitterness scale versus the color scale, I guess, of beers. Well, so the the SRM. Um, is the scale that you use to judge like how light or dark a beer is. Right. What and, does that stand for? Eh, I forget. It's okay. been a while. Okay. Um, that's, you can omit that. That's fine. Um, SRM, figure it out. And then uh, you could Google it. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, um, there's the, then there's the bitterness uh, scale. And the bitterness will tell you like how hoppy a beer is. So like, you know, you're your Blondales or your Pilsners are like very, um, not, you know, not very hoppy. And then like, you know, your Pale Ales are hoppier and right. then your IPAs or your double IPAs or your triple IPAs or the hazy IPA, which is where this all started from, which was where does that fall in the, in the whole yeah. scale? So the, the hazy IPAs are a, um, and forgive me, am I going too deep down the beer that's what these things are all about. Okay. Information. Okay. So the, the hazy IPAs are, um, are a twist on the, on the traditional like West Coast IPA, right? Where West Coast IPAs were like very bitter and also have like a nice like floral and ar- aromatic notes as well. But they were like, they were like also brewed to be very bitter. And, um, and uh, especially like here in San Diego, like for for a while there, it was like the contest to see who could make the most bitter beer possible. Yeah, I feel like Stone Brewing is is kind of the arbiter of that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah they they led the way. And then, um, boy, um, these breweries on the East Coast started say started going a different direction, and they started pulling back on the bitterness and using the hops um in just to accentuate like the kind of like the floral and aromatic notes and and so um 
and then and then you know they also started using this like hazy yeast and these 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 the beers kind of have like a, a, a like a little bit of a different mouthfeel too but the um but on the going back to the ibu scale um the which is the bitterness scale um the the uh the hazy ipas are very low ibu wise so they're not supposed to be bitter and they are supposed to be like strictly like get your nose in the glass and smell the the aromatics you can taste like the fruitiness it's uh and and so the the um additions of hops are usually done at like flame out like at the end of the boil and um and a lot of dry hopping and that kind of thing so um so uh for people who want to drink it an ipa but who aren't in love with the bitterness the bitterness hazy ipas are a great place to start because you can you know usually try a beer and they're very approachable man i mean they're they're fun they're fun to drink yeah and um so uh that's 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 what i'm drinking we just did a um a nelson ipa a hazy ipa called my cousin nelson a take i know it's a, f- a funny name it's uh you know a take on my cousin Vinny. well okay so we're gonna go into this because i want to ask you how you guys name your beers okay but we'll get into that. But yeah, my cousin Vinny, phenomenal movie. So we, uh, I just think of Marissa Tomei when she's described was a Bambi by the water and then bang, like, <laughs> like it's just like that, that whole scene is hilarious. <laughs> That's a good memory, dude. So, uh, I mean, I hadn't seen the movie in years, but one of our, um, my, my best, uh, my best friend from high school is, um, does most of our illustrations okay. and, um, and he's super creative. He's got a design firm in Brooklyn, and um, he's uh, you know, uh, and I'm you know that's where I'm from, and and um, so, you know, he's he's not necessarily in the in the in the beer community, so he comes at it with like a, a different you know approach, and um, you know, so sometimes we'll name our beers in house, and sometimes we're like you know, um, we'll task Brian with, you know. Um, coming up with something good so right. he usually says you know all right give me the give me the hops and the the beer style and you know what are we going for and so we'll give him all that stuff and then he'll come at us with like a couple of ideas so we thought this one was really funny because it was a it was a play on the movie title yeah. and then um and then it uh illustrates the the um the important part of this ipa is the nelson hop which is a southern hemisphere hop and um it's got a picture of a kiwi on it on the on the on the label and okay. it's, it and it, so it's my cousin nelson the the nelson hop is like one of the hardest hops to get and so usually if the you know the the beer um the, like the super hardcore craft beer people like if they see a Oh, this beer has Nelson on it. It's usually like a, a must buy. So it's it's the cashmere of yeah, oh yeah, 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 exactly of hops. So 
is it Nelson? Like I know it was it Nelson, British Columbia in Canada, right? So aren't, aren't like West Coast hops oftentimes Pacific Northwest or am I making this up? No, you're right. Yeah. A lot of the hops come from the Pacific Northwest. So um, what is Nelson? Where is that? I mean, if it's Kiwi, it's is it New, New Zealand? Zealand? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that and, was and they're, not Canada. Uh, no, no. But um, I didn't know. Yeah. But I mean, you know, most of the hops like, you know, a lot of the West Coast hops, you know, West Coast IPA hops are all from like the Northwest. Right. So like, you know, um, mainly like Washington and Oregon and, um, they're hot, you know, they're hops being grown all over the place now, but the, anyway, the, 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 Nelson hops though are, are, um, Southern hemisphere hops. So they're from New Zealand. Their harvest season is, uh, opposite ours, opposite ours, you know? So, so, you know, they're, so it's cool, you know? So like, you know, half the year you got, you're using fresh hops from the, from, you know, the U S and. And then the other half of the year, if you can get them, you can use a lot, a lot of hops from, um, you know, New Zealand and, and, you know, and this, the Nelson hop, there's like, you know, one farm that's like growing, growing it and they specifically only grow a limited amount. So they're hard as hell to get. I got it. So is that by design that you would source them from those areas so that it's fresher year round? Or is it like, is that not the approach? Is it just kind of not coincidental, but just incidental, maybe. I think incidental. Right, right. So for those of you listening, welcome, Matt Delvecchio. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to the podcast. Um, a nice little run in there for us. You're from New York. Yes. You alluded that. Um, we just kind of went into it, didn't we? Yeah, sometimes I like to just because it just keeps it flowing and casual and it calms the nerves, I guess, by the time we get around to questioning the interrogation. Uh <laughs> What did your parents do? Mm. So, um, my, uh, my father was in the, um, insurance business. Uh, he, he ran, uh, meetings for, for New York life insurance company for, he was there for like 46 years. Oh, pension, the whole deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so he did that. And then he, he, he also, um, uh, sat on the board of a, um, like a, a coffee company and then, um, and, and was, did that for his, most of his career too. So, um, so he, so I got kind of exposed to both like, you know, business finance and manufacturing along the way. And then, uh, and then my mom, she was, um, a, like, a a, um, what do you call it? A like a, a um, CEOs, uh, like a, a like executive assistant. Thank you. Thank you. Executive assistant. So she, um, she worked for all these like high powered guys and, and, um, that, you know, had, had these huge companies and stuff like that. And, um, but they I actually have a kind of interesting, they split and my dad remarried and my, um, and my, and my stepmother, um, she was uh, Clint Eastwood's casting director. No kidding. Yeah. So I, I also had had this like weird like little like attachment to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's insane. Well, I mean, obviously you had like the interesting exposure, like you were just saying, like manufacturing, all that stuff with with coffee and whatnot. What made you go the beer route versus coffee, having seen coffee? Because that's a high margin product. Right. Yeah. It's a good uh, business model. I'll tell you what, I love to drink a cup of coffee, but it's not my passion. 
I see. Okay, so passion. Yeah, which I is, think that was like really crucial. like important. Yeah, um, and like you know, you know, like you gotta like you gotta be. You gotta like what you're doing. <laughs> you other for it to be successful and for you to feel like it's not a job, right? So I, I, I um, I think I, you know, I, I, I went to art school, left art school, um, completely unequipped to make a living. <laughs> <laughs> I, tr I tried my best to be a, a graphic designer. I did okay at it, but it wasn't my passion. Where'd you go to school? The Maryland Institute College of Art. Oh, okay. And I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for the, the um, creative education I got. And I feel like it's, you know, helps me every day. Um, but like for, for a little bit there, like I was not really sure what to do. And I had to kind of create my way, but I, I ended up, um, going into financial services because I want, I think I wanted to make more money and I thought I'd be more interested in it, but it, it turns out like that wasn't really my, my calling either. Right. And I, so I, I did the financial services thing for a little over 10 years. Was and that like the cubicle deal or no, no, that, that, that it was not, I mean, I did have a cubicle for sure. At, at least when I first started. Um, and, uh, but the nice thing about um, financial services was that you weren't supposed to be in the office. Um, you were supposed to be out meeting with your clients. Golfing and things. Yeah, and networking and doing that. So that really fits my my personality. And so, um, it, you know, no one week was ever the same. I was, you know, traveling and meet all over the place. And it was like wherever I could network and find somebody that wanted to work with me, I could I could go. So I was you know, all the way up in Vermont or Massachusetts or Maine or Florida or, um, you know, Colorado or even California. And it had a lot of, um, pros and cons and, uh, the money was good. The creativity w wasn't fulfilling, you know, I mean, there's certainly creative ways to, yeah, to you can money. like create a creative, like pitch so to speak and yeah. like creatively established relationships i'm sure but like the product wasn't your creation exactly. thus it wasn't creative and 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 I, that's the thing is i like i really wanted to create my own product yeah totally and so i thought you know let me let me try you know getting into manufacturing and making something cuz you know i went to art school i was like into making things you know yeah. and um and so i thought it, how fun would it be to like make something that people were really interested in and and i could you know continually like create products that were that were um that that were sold and and so i i, I was like okay well what am i interested in you know and and uh, craft beer is was budding at the time i mean this is long this was like like 15 years ago or something yeah like i was gonna say like first, early 2000s yeah when my when my wife and i got married my um one of my groomsmen in yeah. our wedding. And he was like, what do you want for your wedding? And I was like, how about a homebrewing kit? And he didn't really love his job either. And I had this like <laughs> dream. I was like, maybe, you know, he'll get me this homebrewing kit. We'll both like learn to make beer and like fall in love with making beer, leave our jobs and like create this business. So, you know, he goes, so he was like, really dude? Like you, you want to like, what's your wife going to say? And I was like, dude, we got enough like candlesticks. Like what the hell? Are we <laughs> like, you know, so, and so we ended up, uh, brewing a couple beers together and, and it turns out he was like, you know, he got really into it more than I did at first. And then, um, and then I, it turns out like, like 
I kept up with it and he was like, oh, this is just too much work and too much hassle. But right. like I was ready to like, oh, I think we could turn this into something. But I was like, you know, I took my graphic design background and like I started like making labels and came up with a name. And then, you know, I was looking around for like real estate and trying to come up with like a business plan and the whole thing. So this was all happening in on the East Coast in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So where were you living at the time? I was living in Westchester County. Okay, so just a, north of the city. Yes. Yeah, I'm from a town called Larchmont. So originally it was going to be like Larchmont Brewing Company, which was um, not very exciting. And, sounds very country club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, far yeah. from Duckfoot, which is like yes, totally. We'll get we'll get to the name. Yeah. So we so. Uh, so, uh, you know, we were looking around for, for real estate and, and then, you know, Katie and I weren't sold on living in the East coast. Like it just, it just, you know, we realized that once you commit to like building out like a brewery, like you're there for life cause you, you don't just move, you know? So that's interesting. So for those listening, Matt and I used to live 200 yards away, maybe a hundred yards away from one another. And I didn't realize. So you moved here to launch this business. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I mean, yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I, and at the time when we moved here and to, to San Diego, uh, there was, there were only, um, like probably 60 breweries. Yeah. Now there's over what? 120. Well, we signed our lease, built out the brewery. And by the time we opened up eight months later, there we were the hundredth brewery to open in San Diego. Holy smokes! So like forty or something like that opened up in between, in just in the eight month period. And then when we celebrated our three year anniversary, we were the we were there were like two hundred and twenty brewer, operating breweries in San Diego. Oh, forgive me, I, I guessed half that. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, what music were you into in high school? In high school, I started with. The, um, I started, you know, my, my uncle, whose record collection we're, we're being flanked by right now. This is like 2000 something records. That's yeah, amazing. Um, uh, you know, he turned me on to everything. Cause when I was a little kid, he used to just play tons of different music for me. Yeah. So, I mean, I knew all these bands like when I was like, you know, in like fourth and fifth grade. And so, um, you know, he played me stuff that um like frank zappa you know he turned me on to <laughs> he turned me on to like acdc and black sabbath and um so led, he he led, must have been kind Zeppelin. of a, a younger uncle then i guess yeah he was young at heart too so because my dad you know what my favorite band was when i was four what deep purple oh yeah nice yeah it's a good one yeah because of my dad's record collection Should we play some deep purple after this okay. yeah for sure and just as a side note, Led Zeppelin one, uh, the closest thing I've ever been to being murdered was by my father. When I was two years old, I smeared peanut butter and banana on his record collection. Oh, jeez. So imagine peanut butter in the grooves. Oh, forget it, man. To this day, Led Zeppelin one skips. Yeah. Because there's every, chunks, chunks of... There's dried up peanut butter in those grooves, man. <laughs> Yeah, man. But it probably felt really good as a kid, right? I was too. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I don't remember because I have no idea what actually took place. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sure there's like a subconscious element there somewhere yeah. along the way. But um, what was your first album that you ever bought with your own money? Because I see mine on your shelf. 
Um, you're going to laugh, but the... That you paid for with your own money. Oh, that I paid for with my own money. What was the first album you ever bought? And, I, and this like parallels a theory I have that the music someone listens to in high school is the music they will never be sick of throughout their life. Yeah, you're probably right about that. I, I, um, so my, the first, uh, this was going back to tapes, but like, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could um, be whatever. It was my first tape was the monkeys. No way. You bought the monkeys. Yeah. And then, and then I followed that up with run DMC raising hell. Okay, yeah, that dichotomy is uh, <laughs> is something else. I've done sixty five episodes so far, and that is by far the winner for like the spectrum of <laughs> music taste, especially like informative years. <laughs> That's incredible. Okay, so you lo- you leave the financial world, you plan to start a brewery, you don't like the East Coast weather i'm assuming 72 and sunny year round sounds pretty good i would imagine totally and it's way less congested i mean right because you're near the city yeah and i was working in midtown manhattan and oh taking the train in yeah commuting in and out i mean when i didn't start that way i started living in the city and then my wife and i got married moved out of the city and then um and then we got in the burbs and we were like totally should not have been in the burbs and that led us to like doing everything we could to get out of the burbs. But um, it was usually trying to go and find, you know, on a quest to find nature. Sure. And um, so we started by going up to Vermont and going snowboarding. And and, and so we rented a place up in Vermont by um, Stratton. And Sweet. we were doing like, I think um, the year before we left, I had like 70 or 80 days on the mountain because we were going up so much and we were like wait why do we live in new york city you know like you can just we can go move somewhere else and and you know enjoy life right more and um so we did that uh and and you know and we were searching and you know i i was uh, on those drives is when like all this the the you know katie and i would drive three hours up three hours back and we had plenty of time to like hash out like all these the future plan. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, okay. So obviously as you described, the company's called Duckfoot brewing, but you kind of specialized in gluten reduced beers. That totally came by happen chance. Really? Happenstance. Happen chance. Happenstance. (laughs) So, uh, we, but it was a chance that happened. Yeah. (laughs) And it was the stance that made it all possible. Right, right, exactly. So the the uh, the idea came about on the way up to Vermont, where I was like, you know, we were going into the ski bars after, and you know, the Apres ski scene is like my favorite. Like I love being like working out all day on the mountain, like just having fun skiing, and then you come in at the end of the day, and it's like four o'clock and there's a band going in the bar and there's, you know, you order some wings and have a beer and like, it's the best. You I know? can see it and smell it now. Yeah. And, and, but like I was in a craft beer, but there were no craft beer. Um, there was no craft beer being sold that, and that that's where the idea came for, for Duckfoot, which was like, right. you know, let's start a brand marketed towards this like snowboarding community and we'll get it into all the Apres ski bars in like the Northeast. So how do what, Okay, so did that actually happen? No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the original what, idea. What got in the way? 
Um, I think then, you know, or was it the idea of moving? So then you're away from mountain towns. Well, so Katie and I were like all about starting the brewery, but then once we, once we got into the idea of actually starting the brewery, we were like, maybe we should, you know, build the brewery in a place where we want to live year round and then, and then get it to the mountain towns. So, you know, we, we, somebody introduced us to, um, San Diego and, and we came out for a weekend and like fell in love. So I'm drinking the Kook Slams, which is the West Coast style IPA. I mean, this beer is one of my favorites that you guys do. This our number one seller. Yeah. The, okay. So the Kook Slams is one of your, it's your best seller. I mean, it is my favorite IPA. It's I, so good. Yeah. Okay. So back to the gluten reduced thing though. Yeah. So how did that, all right, happenstance. Yes. However, it kind of became what you guys stood for too, or do you guys market that? Or is it just kind of a byproduct of your beer? So back when I was, you know, we kind of like skipped, skipped over this little part of my um, history, but like, that's okay. Um, when I was back on the East coast and we were, this was before we moved out here and I was, home brewing and then um i started getting sick and um and i you know i had all kinds of health issues and it was getting worse and worse and worse and um and then uh you know my wife is very um she's into nutrition and and uh she was very like she's very perceptive where to like you know what goes in your body and how it affects you where i'm kind of oblivious yeah i don't think that way either and um so what were your symptoms uh well uh, you know i'll try to keep it pg for um for the for the podcast sure um you know i I had a lot of like gastrointestinal issues and so a lot of like uncomfortable like you know like like bloating and 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 stuff and and uh, a lot of fatigue man like like i would leave for the for the office in the morning in new york city I get on the train and I think I had like five cups of coffee and I'd be like almost like asleep at my desk at like 8 a.m. Like I was like just getting like through the just getting to the office. I was so exhausted. So I went to the doctor and, you know, got scoped in eight million different directions and stuff. And I was I was uh, ended up being diagnosed celiac disease and um, or I should say being diagnosed with celiac disease. And that was, um, kind of like the death blow to the, the me the starting thing. the brewery. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then everything kind of went on pause for a little bit. And when I was really down on the dumps because I, I really like, it was your dream. man? Yeah, it was my dream. And literally I, the I, rug got swept out. I, um, I felt like, you know, I knew what I wanted to do with my life and, um, and then all of a sudden it was kind of like taken away from me and the, um, and you know, my wife to her credit was like, come on, get off your ass. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and go develop the best gluten-free beer in the marketplace. If you haven't heard episode one of the standard age podcast, then let me tell you about my friend, Tim Jackson as owner of passion, fine jewelry, Tim and his team specialize in fine jewelry as well as some of the finest independent watch brands available. I'm talking about Gronfeld, Habring, Kudoki, Roger Smith, Roman Gauthier, Sarpaneva, the list goes on. 
The staff at Passion Fine Jewelry is literally made up of friends and family, so you will feel right at home if and when you visit. If California is out of reach, you can absolutely email or call the shop and they'll get you sorted. Visit passionfinejewelry.com for more information. As you all know, I'm a huge fan of using the right product for the right job. And like many of you, I appreciate products with a story. That's why I drive a Volkswagen GTI. It's a hot hatch with heritage. It's also why I'm into specific watches like my Tudor Black Bay. And that's exactly why I'm a fan of the indie accessory brand Contonement. Contonement makes a utilitarian cloth they simply call a kerchief. It's smaller than a standard bandana, but larger than a handkerchief, which makes it ideal to tuck in a back pocket or use as a neckerchief. I always take one on a bike ride or have one with me as a backup face covering. Not only do these kerchiefs satisfy several functions, but they look great too. Each set features illustrations celebrating icons of product design like the Omega Speedmaster, the Fender Stratocaster, or my favorite, of course, a classic GTI. Follow them on Instagram at Contonement Co. That's C-A-N-T-O-N-M-E-N-T-C-O. Or visit them at Contonement.co. And use the code STANDARDH in all caps, no spaces, for 20% off of absolutely everything in their online shop. Now let's get back to the show. We touched on it earlier, but so how do you exactly name your beers? It sounds like there's an equation, right? So you got, was it Brian? Yeah. You said, so Brian is your graphic designer and you give him the types of hops, you give him the type of beer and say the taste profile is that is that right that's and then, that's what we do sometimes okay um so, so that's, kook that, slams is what i'm drinking yeah so that it's very surf centric right so for those who listen a kook is somebody that's just kind of like well i i don't know because it's all colloquial right a barney or like yeah. somebody that doesn't know what they're doing a newbie a newbie uh, yeah. a somebody noob. that yeah <laughs> yeah there's all these like the jargon right of surf culture but like, so it's a kook and usually kook slams, which incidentally is an amazing Instagram handle that everybody should follow kook slams because yeah. it's quite entertaining. Well, I mean, that, that name was easy because that, that beer came from us um, doing a collaboration with that Instagram handle. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So that, that oh, I had no idea. So that, there's like this massive wave breaking on this guy who's literally standing on the sand with one foot on a Segway. <laughs> chugging what appears to be a beer with a couple of palm trees and then like old bones sticking out of the sand as if somebody had died there. Yeah. And he's about to get wiped out. Right. So obviously the whimsical approach to beer naming and labeling for that matter is, is abundantly clear with your brand. Is this like a, we just don't take life seriously kind of approach. Is it obvious? It's funny, right? But it's also branding. So where does this come from? Is this Brian or is this everybody? Well, um, in, in this particular case, I mean, you know, we, we, uh, dialed up kook slams on the, um, I sent the, I think we sent them a facsimile to see if they wanted to, uh, <laughs> do a collaboration with us. And, um, and they responded and said, uh, let's do a beer together. And, and then, um, and we've been rocking out, uh, ever since with that beer um so what's the so, relationship not interrupting you is with them do they did they share r&d costs did they 
No, do they we, get a we, royalty? We, yeah, they get a royalty. Yeah, we pay them a royalty. Yeah, for for the use of the for the use of the the name and stuff like that. And they they do some promotion for us and stuff like that. Cool. Um, and uh, uh, it's just fun. I mean, the whole thing was like you know the we I just wanted the brand to be fun and lighthearted and collaborative and so it's a you thing. Is yeah, this- yeah. Mo, mo, I would I would say. Um, a fair amount of the beers we do are are from from the my creative direction. Now that the team's getting bigger, um, that's changing a little bit. But we are definitely like um, are, uh, which is good because you know I you know I I led us into this like whole surf skate kind of scene, and um, that's been great for the brand. Um, but we've, we, we've also, um, been dabbling in music. Cool. And which is also very you, which is, I, I guess, as we're surrounded by all the music equipment. Um, but my, my contributions are to the brand are usually the, on the creative side. I, you know, I'm not there brewing and doing the, the, uh, I'm, I'm not there on the nine to f- nine to five or even, you know, you know, nine to nine, you know, hours that a lot of our brewing team is. And I'm very thankful for the hours that they put in and, and all of the hard work because, you know, my, they help, they realize my creative ideas, you know, and, or, or, you know, or now I should say, or, you know, the team's creative ideas and, um, and it's, yeah, we're, we're, we're smoking with like, our, like, I love our team, man. Like our, we're, that's awesome. We, yeah. We, we just had a, um, a, um, we, on this past Monday, we had a, uh, staff, uh, or, you know, team appreciation day. Oh, and cool. We closed the brewery down and had everybody over to my house here. Oh, amazing. And we, we got it catered and had a couple of kegs. And then we all went down and went body surfing together down at Beacons sweet and so how many people are on staff now uh it's a good question um probably like 14 or 15 or so that's great yeah so meetings like today you said that you had meetings like pretty oh, much yeah. all day how many people are in the room and how often do you guys have those meetings well today i went down to have a merchandise meeting and then I walked into the meeting and then um, our head brewer was sitting there. And then I said, guys, I think we need to do an Oktoberfest. And and no- normally stuff is way more planned out, you know. Yeah, because you got eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but um, but like, you know, uh, the issue was COVID threw everything upside down. It wasn't until like a couple of months ago that we were even allowed to be open right so like you know long-term planning went out the window so there was like all 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 everything was for the last year and a half was short-term planning like survive survive pivot survive open the restaurant close the restaurant open you can be inside you can be outside you need to serve food you don't need to serve food people need to wear masks people don't need to wear masks you know and like you know so like we weren't doing like you know uh, like what's Oktoberfest going to be? What's our, what's our, uh, right, right. Like what, strategically. Planned. Yeah. Like it You're, all went it's, out the It's window. reactionary. Yeah. So, right. So now we're like trying to catch up and, and get going again. And, 
and yeah, we're like always, it feels like we're perpetually on our heels. Um, but, um, which I'm sure as a business owner is kind of disconcerting. Yeah, it is what it is, man. You know what? We're, we're doing better than we ever have. Yeah. What are the metrics you guys look at? So, well, year over year. And I mean, I mean, it would be easy to crush 2020, right? Because like, you know, for, for a lot of it, like we weren't even like really open. We were just selling beer on our like Shopify site. Right. But, um, but we're crushing 2019 numbers and we happen to have this like wonderful space that we turned converted to an outdoor patio. Great. And, and I think, so when we, when everybody else was shut down, we were able to continue. And I think we got a lot of new customers that way. In addition to people like having, being exposed to our brand now, because like, you know, our beers are the best they've ever been because of how, how awesome our brewing team is. And, um, and you know, I think, you know, nothing's black and white. Right. So I think it was just like a combination of like a year and a half of people like being exposed to our brand coming and realizing or like, Oh, Duckfoot's got really good beer and we've just done a good job marketing and, and building a good team. And it seems to all be paying off. Well, that's awesome, man. Like I, yeah, I definitely wanted to ask you about marketing because when you think of alcohol, right? Like, or beer, I guess I should specify. Um, you think of Budweiser, you think of like the Clydesdales, right? And you think of the marketing and the Super Bowl ads that are $4 million for a 30 second spot. And like all the nonsensical BS that revolves around this is our brand, right? Be it monetary BS or not, because $4 million is a lot of money. What, I mean, how do you market not how does a beer brand market, but how does Duckfoot market? Like what, like what's your approach to marketing? And cause it's gotta be important, right? Um, I, th- yeah, that's a, that's a good question, dude. Um, I mean, we don't have, uh, you know, in the six years we've been open, we haven't spent $4 million. <laughs> you know what I mean? How could you? I mean, yeah. that's uh, it's insane. It, it's insane when you think about how much money they waste on this fucking Super Bowl ad. Um, I, I, uh, I, uh, you know, God, that money could be better, you know, used to to ser- serve the greater good, you know? Yeah, I always wonder what their ROI is. I mean, they keep doing it, so it must not be hurting, but... I I, I think they do it just to... Or is it a write-off? block everybody like, else, you know? Okay, got it. You know, I, that, that's what I... From what I've known, from the from what I hear about the way the macros work, is they, they, they know that most of their beer goes out of code, um, but they flood the shelves with it just so it keeps other brands off. So it's, it's out of code, meaning, meaning it expires, like it expires. and they, they, it's, it's better for them to actually have beer expire on the shelves than for them to just sell in what, the, what's needed because it keeps other brands off the shelves. Holy smokes. That's a different level, man. Yeah. So that's like some political shit. Oh yeah. Or, you know, uh, I mean, they've, they've, you know, and I don't know any of this as, you know, because I've seen the numbers or whatever, but I, you know, that like I've heard that they'll buy whole hop harvests out so that people can't get, you know, hops. Like they have money, like fuck you money, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. So, but, um, anyway, I'm not here to spread rumors, but from, from our, from our marketing perspective, um, you know, we do what we can, you know, 
a lot you know we, we i don't know we've built up in our we've spent a lot of time building up our instagram channel um what's been that approach um targeted ads no we 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 didn't do um uh we, we've really done very little with paid social um it's been um i think we're at like 30 thousand 38,000 i don't know i don't we've got we got it's a it's a pretty decent size you know um instagram channel we don't do a lot on facebook um we've just recently started tiktok and like in like a month and a half we've like outpaced our our we've we've out outperformed our instagram channel which we've been working on for like five years so that's that's really interesting so if you've well obviously you've outpaced it but do you did you hire a social media marketer and or somebody who spends their time working on your social media because if you're not doing paid ads growing a following what's been the approach what's been the advice like how do you grow your social media mark like social media presence if you're not paying for ads or what have you so is it just engagement commenting tagging yeah yeah yeah, totally so we we we, uh we we try to build the community and you know engage with the community um and and it's a challenge because the the you know instagram will change the the, algorithm yeah and which changes the rules of engagement you know i find it maddening you know I'm a one man band. Yeah. So imagine how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have time. Like I genuinely don't have time. Not that I'm complaining, but it's No, just, you can't do it it's all. Maddening. Dude. Yeah. Um it's it's uh I find it I find it to be to be frustrating. And um my my favorite thing is our mailing list because our mailing list are, is our core group of subscribers totally. who we have are, are in direct contact with. That seems to be the best ROI. Cool. You know, um, and uh, so, you know, we've grown that mailing list to be a pretty large number and we c- continually put effort into growing the mailing list and, and, and gaining subscribers. Um, and so we put a you know weekly newsletter out that you know we're still you know a pretty local brand i mean we're distributed like all the way from like san diego through the bay area and like you know alaska and sometimes mexico but but we but you know for the most part the newsletter focuses in and around what's going on around at the brewery so we're you know hey come in and this is our tap list and you can see what we got going on so that that really drives business you know we do have a social media um coordinator and and um and uh i've got you know two part-time marketing people that also work with me and yeah we're 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 doing the best we do we can but we we don't do a lot of paid social sure um we're trying to we're trying to get real fans there's kind of like two sort of questions I want to ask about your growth strategy because one is what was your growth strategy was it like let's run things here in San Diego and then spawn or or grow further out or was it just I'll take anything I can get kind of thing like I want to be in that bar and like did you have like a list of bars like so for me right like I'm just now thinking about wholesale distribution 
And now that I'm actually manufacturing my own stuff, I mean, my shorts were manufactured and those were in some stores and stuff historically. But like with these new like Avant tees that I just released, like there's finally the opportunity to grow that distribution. So it's like I'm trying to get in specific stores that I'm familiar with versus, okay, let me just run stuff in San Diego because it's a completely different business model, right? Like with you, alcohol can be kind of everywhere. Beer can be everywhere and people will drink it. Like I can't sell these t-shirts to 17 stores in San Diego. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just not feasible. Yeah. Um, so what was sort of your growth strategy and you guys were in Petco, right? Yes, we were in Petco. Which is where the before, Padres play for those outside of San Diego. Before, uh, and um, so we, our growth strategy was uh, um, we, we self-distributed our brand for the first four years. And then, um, and our goal was to self-distribute till we became a, um, uh, a, a target for a distributor that would, you know, want to pick us up. So we did that and, um, and we were able to sell our distribution distribution rights. And, um, that took us to the next level in terms of, you know, um, like, you know, coverage. So at first it was, you know, we wanted to be in all the craft beer bars that, that we could and, 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 and all of the, you know, restaurants that, you know, or bars that, that catered to like, you know, a gluten-free brand. And then, um, and then once we got picked up by the distributor, we were able to, you know, um, engage with larger customers that we, we couldn't have gotten to on our own. So, or we, I see. So, so they have those like relationships established, right? Right. Yeah. So we've so we've gotten into um, so we we got into Petco Park, uh, that and which was a blast because I mean you know talk about a cool thing to do is to like go buy a beer you made at a major league baseball game, you know? Unbelievable. Um, one of my other favorite um, and this is not nearly on that level, but uh, I love Phil's Barbecue. Totally. And uh, so we're, we're on at Phil's Barbecue. And like, so I love that, like, you can go rock out at Phil's Barbecue and have a duck foot. Um, the, uh, the other, the other, uh, so we're, we have, we're SeaWorld, you know, we're at the zoo, they got us in the zoo. And, and so um, those are all like, you know, pretty big. That was pre distributorship or that was post no that was once we signed with Carl. okay so, we, so those we, are we, the outlets we, that they'll get you into yeah and we we so we're distributed by carl strauss distributing I see. and um we have uh we just passed like two years with them so um yeah and we've we've been uh they've been helping us grow and so they took us not only did they help us grow in san diego but we're actually being um sold in orange county the inland empire and los angeles with them as well. Now, do they specify just in the Southwest, so to speak, or are they nationwide? No, they're just, they're that, that's their territory. That's their focus okay. right now. So then that would be like from going from self distributing to Carl Strauss level, then to 
I guess there's another level to get to nationwide where well, the, like nationwide is just basically like building like 8 million different distributors to, to patchwork it all together. So oh, is that it, how that works? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's crazy. So like you, like, you know, we would manage, um, like in our first, you know, four years, we, we had to basically manage our own, um, AR like accounts receivable with like, you know, who owes us what and whatever. And, and that was, it consisted of like, you know, like 500 different bars and restaurants, right? Liquor stores. Wow. And now, um, we're, we're, they do all of that work for us. So we just basically buy, um, we sell beer to them and then they owe us money. But, um, but they only handle those territories. So like we, we're, we're now in the Bay area. So we have a distributor up there, but the Bay area distributor only does like, um, uh, San Francisco, Mendocino, uh, um, Sonoma, Napa and, um, Marin, but they don't do like South Bay, like, or like Oakland or San Jose. So we would, so we're working on getting a distributor to take us there. Got it. And then, um, and like, you know, we don't have a distributor in Santa Barbara, so we need a distributor there. And right. Right. So anyway, so it's like, um, you got to patchwork, like patchwork it all together and they're like, they're, you know, so how much time are you spending? I know like, okay, so we met, I think you were walking to surf. If I remember this correctly, I think I remember the day that we met, I was walking home from surfing and you were walking to surf after a day of work, I think along Neptune. I thought Nick Borelli introduced us, but I think we were in transit surfing. Oh, when he introduced us, I think so. Yes. I was yeah, surfing yeah, yeah. with Nick. Yeah. Yeah. So I was surfing with Nick walking home. You were walking to surf, I think. And that's how we met on Neptune. And they were like, yeah, we should surf sometime. <laughs> And then we surfed, I guess. And then we were neighbors and whatever. How much time are you spending surfing? Or do you snowboard? Are you, uh, did you get any days this winter? Um, well, well, 2020, right? Like 2020. Uh, we did, though. We, uh, yeah, oh, did we, you get up? Yeah, we were. Uh, yeah, we had a great um, great time up in uh, Tahoe. We went up to Homewood with the, with the family. Amazing. And then, um, and so we had a good time. Uh, I actually got a couple days in. I'm super out of, out of uh, snowboarding shape. Um, oh, that's okay. Surfing. Um, we, uh, um, I, I, I actually developed a frozen shoulder, which is this like weird old person's injury. I, I, it's the weird, weirdest thing, but like, I don't know how it came about, but it like totally screwed with my range of motion, but I've been lifting weights and getting back into shape and I've been able to like finally start surfing again. Um, I've, um, been the water's awesome right now oh it feels so good yeah so um i like yesterday uh i got home from work and i went body surfing and i've got this hand plane yeah that is the best the freaking most fun yeah and the way you know i looked at the cam and uh the waves were like it didn't look like anything was going on so i was just like you know what there i'll be able to body surf so i so i brought my hand plane down and I should have brought my board because there, there actually turns out were some waves as the tide was going out. But um, I had a blast. I, I caught like one wave after another in and this I got this hand plane and like, you know, I, you can literally ride like onto the sand. Sure. And, and I just I felt like a little kid. Like I was like, that's that's amazing. So, all right. When you're surfing hand plane, 
Are you using fins or no fins? I'm um, I'm not. No, I don't own fins. I need to get fins. Yeah, I don't own fins either. Uh, I just I don't go out further than me actually like being able to stand, stand and push off. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, last summer, I, um, I I I brought my hand plane down to my my daughter Quinn's um, like her her uh, school through a little like beach party. Cool. And the waves were like pretty big that day and this guy brought his fins and i brought my hand plane so we and he was my size and so we teamed up and so he took my hand plane out with his fins and then i got to use his uh fins and and after when he was done and we swapped and and uh so uh, it was my first time um like um, game changer i'll tell you what i thought (laughs) it was scary as fuck really yeah yeah like you know my i guess my fear came from the sheer momentum of of riding down the wave with your arm out extended like that and i've dislocated my shoulders before okay and i'm like here i am flying down this freaking wave and my arm is like totally extended and like you know like when you get crushed you know like you're you're like tossed and turned in eight million right, different directions. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I could totally see like me just like dislocating my, my shoulder, <laughs> you know? And so I thought it was, I, I was surprised because it never occurred to me until I, I felt the force of, of hand planning down a set wave, like, you know, on the outside, you know, uh, on like a, on like a big breaking day, like a legit wave. Yeah. Like a legit wave. Yeah. It's totally different than when you're just like pushing off on a, on like, you know, from the sand, from the sand, you know, like, so have you, do you know what I'm talking? Like, have uh, no, no, that's why I asked because I, I don't own fins. And so like my wife and I will go snorkeling or whatever on vacation. Right. And yet every time I have to rent that equipment because we don't own it. And we were just, talking a couple months ago in Hawaii, like it is really dumb that we don't own this stuff already yeah. with the so regularity. So to travel with too, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, it, so on that note, it was, it was the question I, you know, posed to you is like, do you have fins or no fins? And I'm a no fins guy thus far, but I'm getting talked into it. it sounds well, like. <laughs> the, uh, the only reason I don't have fins is usually because when the waves are big enough, I'm surfing. Oh, exactly. Know? Exactly. And, and then, right, right. so the like, hand planes, the last resort. Yeah. 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 I do love the, um, ease of being able to go down to the beach with it because it's so much easier to just carry a hand plane than the surfboard. Well, and even as you go up, right. So like shitty waves equals hand plane, like kind of shitty waves equals longboard. So right. it's like <laughs> polar opposites of I know. easeability to carry. <laughs> and and uh you know somewhat shitty waves you could also hand plane on and be really stoked. Stoked. Yeah. And cuz I got to tell you man, my smile was just as big, you know? <laughs> and and um and so like for all of the surfers that were out there, I think I got I was doing like 10 waves for every one of their waves, right? So like I was definitely having more fun and and like I even got barreled, dude. Like I got like, you know, I, I wasn't just like riding straight in on the sand. Like I was like hand planning 
down the wave. I love it. All right. I want to talk to you about this like fish cover band situation. <laughs> okay. I, I have to, I have to understand how that or like the origin story. And I had no idea. I knew you had a drum kit in your garage where we're sitting. It's behind me. And as a drummer, I'm like, everything. Are you itching to play? You can uh, yeah, get yeah. on there, man. Uh, we, I, let's hit the record button. Honestly, like after this, I'm, I might ask, I'll, I'll hit it, you dude. up. Yeah. I, I need to hit you up. But because it's been years and I might have to have you like video me for my wife because I don't think she believes that I play uh-huh. drums. Yeah, let's do it. Man. <laughs> so anyway, this fish cover band, talk to me. Um, so I've been a, a, a fish, you know, fan and we're talking about the band fish, yeah. right? P-H-I-S-H. P-H-I-S-H. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and being an East Coaster, I mean, it was like a rite of passage, you know. Well, and uh, around our age. Right. Yes. Like, yes. It was one of the first concerts I ever went to. And such a fun show and such a fun band and such a community-driven band. Totally. And so much to learn from there, actually. You know, um, I uh, I love them dearly. Um, I was a Grateful Dead guy, you know, uh, fan before that. And then uh, I still am. But, you know, um, you know, my senior of my um, high school, you know, Jerry died. And I had, you know you know, let's say I saw five dead shows that summer. I also had like, you know, like 10 fish shows that summer. And then I just never stopped. And I went and, you know, have been following them and listening to them since, since then. I don't know. We moved out here. Like, you know, I was playing a lot of guitar. I've been playing guitar since I was a little kid. The, uh, Gibson um, or Fender? Oh, well, I started with a Fender, but I play I play a Gibson uh, now. Oh, you you transitioned. Yeah. Usually and, you're one or the other, right? Uh, As a I drummer, I'm I'm like... A Pearl? Casting. Yeah. What well, you, actually, yeah, my first kit was a Pearl. And what do you play? Pearl what you Export play Selects. I don't own drums because I live If you were to buy to your dream kit, what would it be? Oh, jeez. I know I'm not supposed to interview you right now. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, I, ooh. I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe a set of Gretsch. Nice. I'd, I'd, I'd get a Gretsch. So the, the Beatles played? I don't know what Ringo played, actually. Gretsch, I always think of, like, stereotypically as those huge guitars that were Gretsch, right? Right, yeah. But, like, from a kit standpoint, I should know the answer to that question. Yeah. I have no idea what... I feel like he was a Ludwig guy. Oh, but maybe you're right. Just because of the era. But i'm gonna look this up i know that brand though Um, i'm gonna google that (laughs) it's on the internet full circle (laughs) so so the uh so i don't know i i just uh you know i was out here and i was like thinking to myself like you know i want to be in a be in a band and um and i feel like you could throw a rock and hit a grateful dead cover band you know and right and and even here yeah. Oh, in San Diego. Yeah. Like there's See, like I feel like tons of people covering the dead. Reggae, sublime, sort of the the kind of Scott. Like I feel like Southern California is that. There is that. Whereas I think of like Virginia and I think of fish. Yeah. And yeah. I'm a North Carolina guy. Right. You're a New York guy. I feel like fish. Hampton, Virginia, 1997. I was there. Yeah. I think it was 98. Eight? Or 98. I was there or too. Th- <laughs> 99, I think I saw Fish play at Walnut Creek Amphitheater. Lightning Bolt paused the uh the Oh, set. you were there for that show, huh? Yeah. Oh, so you know that show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was That's there. a famous show. Yeah, that was one of my first concerts. Like, 
Yeah, I was in high school. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, so they would come into town, right? And they played Chula Vista, you know, uh, the sleep train or whatever they... Yeah, that, whatever the sponsor is yeah. these days. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, for the last couple of years, they've not come to San Diego. And, and I was just like... And I remember thinking to myself, there are so many fans in San Diego that go to see fish. They're skipping us. There has got to be um, a way to to get those fans into see uh, fish, uh, like you know, when, while I mean, if you, if you go to um, I was going to say like wh- Irvine. Well, I was going to say Winston. Play- um, you know the the concert venue down in in uh, uh, OB. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, there's a dead cover band that's been playing 20 years in a row down there. And there's like a devout following. Like there's got to be that following for like, you know, the fish people, but there's just no band down here playing it. So I put a group together and we rehearsed for like eight months and we played our first gig at Duckfoot on February 28th, 2020. (laughs) (laughs) your time is up in two weeks yeah and we uh so so we rehearsed um trey came and played at the north park observatory a month before that and i got a bill made for the for my band it's called um it was at the time it was called heather hood and the mr minors which was a, a fish song called heather hood or no excuse me um, harry hood harry hood yeah. yeah so it was a play on mr. there mr minor yeah, yeah, yeah and in our and so our band was a instead of a four piece like fish it was a five piece and heather was our lead singer so trey comes into town as all of the all of the fans lined up outside the venue i went and ha- handed shook hands this is not COVID safe, but I shook hands with every person that was coming into the venue and introduced myself. And I said, Hey, I'm Matt. I'm the guitar player in a, a San Diego fish cover band. We're playing Come in a, see us. We're, yeah, here's the, here's our bill. And, and, um, and, and I was, I was just like, I put, I put Trey's tour bus was parked out front and I put, I got to, I put the bill on his windshield wiper. Okay. Can I propose something as an interruption right now? Sure. Every bill you play, like every bill you have, you need to put your set list on it yeah. and it needs to be shaped like a duck bill. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a marketing ploy. You're welcome. I'll take that. It's Go a good ahead. idea. So we, we, uh, so, you know, a month goes by, I had no idea, but we, you know, we rehearsed and rehearsed and, and it was our first gig and we fucking packed the place, dude. I cannot Amazing. believe how many people came from that, that like it was shoulder to shoulder we walked out and we played our heart out and everybody was like nervous as hell. And I remember just saying like, guys, like we, we, we are rehearsed as we possibly could be. Like we are as best as we've ever But been. those are good nerves. Yeah. And we went out and we played and we had such a good time. And, um, and uh, two weeks later, the entire world shut down and destroyed all of our momentum. <laughs> okay, so no Standard Age podcast can go on. Well, that I won't say no Standard Age podcast, but we have to have some element of car talk. Okay. And I want to know about your Cherokee. Oh, yeah. Can you please tell the story? Because it's awesome. Yes. So um, 
What year is the Cherokee? It's it's my dream car. It's red. It's a 1995 Jeep Cherokee. Uh, it is the car I wanted in high school. And um, I happened to um, make some dumb decisions in high school and not get this this car it was actually like way out of my price range at, back at the back in the day too you know totally and um and uh but I, it's the car i wished i had like literally like i remember all uh, like all the cool kids had this freaking 1995 jeep cherokee yeah rich kids yeah. it was like <laughs> my it 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 oozed my persona you know and um so i never got that car and i never had a jeep and then um, my, uh, I met my wife in New York city and then, um, shout out Katie, by the way, yeah. because she has a lot to do with the story. She does for sure. So just, yeah, she is, she's for, the record. for sure. My, my better half. She's amazing. Cheers, uh, she's Katie. <laughs> Emmy, Emmy, three-time Emmy winning documentary maker, filmmaker, director. She is, she's yeah. Yeah. Three times. Holy shit. Three Emmys, three Emmys. Yeah. And wow. So she's, she's I knew she's talented. put in some work, but I didn't know it was like three Emmys deep. Yeah. Holy smokes. Are so, they, you have them here at the house. Yeah. I'll show you. They're in her office. She can show you. Yeah. I, I'm done. Okay. So maybe this, that's a different podcast. But the, the, the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you could definitely, and then you could interview her about her car because this, this is really interesting. So her, um, so, we, so, you know, we started dating and, and we, well, forget it. I mean, I'll fast forward. We got married and, um, we moved out of New York city and we needed a car and she was like, Oh, I, you know, why don't we put my, my, her, her, she had her high school car that like was up on blocks in her grandmother's garage, like being preserved. So she being preserved. I love this. So you know, she like moved to New York City. She didn't even need the car, but the, right, this right. Jeep was her father. Her it was her her high school driver's ed car, <laughs> and it was a, it was this nineteen ninety five Jeep Cherokee, a right? brand new Cherokee. Yeah, and <laughs> at the time. Uh, and um, and so uh, the school, like her family, needed a car, so they her dad picked it up, right? And 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 so it was her family's car. Her, it was, you know, her dad actually passed away of a heart attack when she was a, when she was like a junior in, in high school. And um, so, um, th but it was his car. So there, she's obviously got like super sentimental attachment to it. Right? 100%. Yeah. So this car was going, it, it was going nowhere, is going nowhere. And um, so it sat in her grandmother's garage and because she didn't need it, but I mean, they are, you know, it had all this like, you know, sentimental value to it. And sure. so, um, we get married and, and we needed a car and we didn't have any money, but we like, we're like, Oh, you know, for a couple thousand bucks, we'd get this thing back on the road. So, you know, we, 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 uh, get it back on, the, back on the road. Like, I mean, there was, um, a mouse had, had, um, built a nest in the um engine bay yeah and like <laughs> and like the like had like chewed through a, a bunch of wiring and like and like the air the conditioning yeah, 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 yeah the yeah. whole thing all you the know? rubber housing yeah so um so you know we had to we had to clean it all out but 
other than that, like the thing was in like good condition because like, yeah, hoses are cheap. Yeah, hoses (laughs) are cheap. Yeah. And like, and like it, it literally had sit, sat in this, uh, you know, garage, like not driven for like 10 years, like sheltered from all the elements. You know what I mean? It's like if you like weatherize the boat and like, yeah, you just put fresh tires on. Yeah. 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 It was all good. So, so we got it back on. So we got it back on the road and like that was our car. And then, um, we, we, we drove it, you know, around New York city. I'm like, we're not like showy people. We're not like, you know, like I know like a it's lot. a 95 Jeep Cherokee. Yeah. yeah. We get it. <laughs> yeah. We just, we just, it's not a Range Rover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and, um, and then we, we, we moved out to California and we put it on a flatbed and, and, and uh, shipped it out, you know, and I drove it, uh, to and from work every day. And then when we started Duckfoot, it was our delivery vehicle. I was going to say your self-distributing vehicle yeah. was literally you. I remember those days yeah. of you driving the Cherokee yeah. with kegs in it. Yeah. We took, we put the both, we put the two back seats down, put a piece of plywood down and we would put like three or four kegs in, in the back of it and then go deliver it, go back to the brewery, like loaded up some more kegs, go out for another delivery. And then it was like at the point where we were having to do that like three times a day that we realized we needed like a delivery, a truck. delivery truck. Yeah. You know? So, um, so then the, but the car got really beat up, like, you know, because nobody really cared about it. Like the way, like, you know, Katie did, you know? And, um, so like, you know, it was, and it just had where did she tear. ever say anything? Like, why are you, beating the crap out of my dad's car uh she definitely gave me a hard time over it but you know like interesting she it was out of sight out of mind like she didn't see it on a regular basis well, it was gone all day it yeah. was <laughs> well it lived down there oh true yeah, yeah you kept because, it in the parking lot yeah we kept That's it in the parking right. lot so uh we um we kept it in the parking lot and then we because we had uh, um our first son we had to get like a like a uh, safe car. You know? Right. Right. So, well, okay. So for those who are listening, I interviewed West walls, shout out to a previous episode of the standard age podcast from elite finish. Oh yeah. Yeah. Auto detailing. Uh, right. You guys share a parking lot yep. as it were. Yeah. And those guys were kind enough to, uh, do the van that we bought from this like local jujitsu. They did the wrap. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Which is, um, uh, you know, needs in in need of a new rap in case you're listening (laughs) but we are uh it's been uh you know like what like four years and the thing got its butt kicked there's a lot of sun it's a lot of sun in san diego yeah so um so anyway so uh for katie had her her most recent birthday and and um and she and i said what do you want and she said i want my jeep back so from the parking lot yeah from the parking lot and this thing like was not it was yeah it wasn't even like like st- like startable it started but it could go one block which was over to our mechanic the uh temperature gauge went like through the roof like it like it needed love right right, right. so we put a couple grand back into it but i have i've been restoring it you know um and it is looking better than it even when we took it out of the garage and really uh, yeah and it's got like 170 or 180,000 miles on it 
That was my next question. Yeah. So it's totally like back. It looks awesome. It's we're taking great care of it now. It's no longer in service at the brewery. Like it's But like, you surprised Katie with it or no? On her birthday, I surprised Katie with it. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And and she flipped her shit, dude. And we uh we we took it on the beach and uh we yeah, we drove it out. We dro- drove it on the beach for sunset. We went and got takeout, had takeout in it, and like amazing, like, yeah, it's back in our lives, yeah. And this, I can't talk because my ears are like are, are flooded with my smile right now. <laughs> like, this, it's like the you know, it's it, this Jeep is going to be like I don't know, it's going to be Jack's first car. You know what I mean? Like I mean, we're this car is going nowhere, and I, I, I totally like if you're, I guess if you're. I guess I, I, in one way, I don't consider myself a car person, but in another way, I consider myself a car person because, like, if you love a car, like, there's no reasoning, right? And yeah. that this no is that amount for, of money matters. Yeah. yeah. And like for me, it's not like a new fancy car. It's like it's a family member. It's a family member. Yeah. And this car is going to be. It, it's in the ICU. I don't care. I'm I'm paying for it. It's <laughs> it on a respirator. The ICU. Yeah, we took it out. <laughs> you man. know, like yeah. I don't care what we the medical bills are. We intubated this baby and we we nursed it back to health, man. Oh my god, I love <laughs> this. I love it, Matt. This has been a blast, dude. Thank you for the time. Thank you for your Honestly, time. Honestly, man, I, uh, I, you know, I would talk with you for another uh, five hours, bro. Well, we just have to crack another beer. <laughs> let's do, let's do round two another time and maybe hear Katie's story. Who knows? Um, man, this was awesome. Thank you. Thank you, dude. And, um, and, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Well, I love Duckfoot beer and that's not just cause you're a homie. It's because it's friggin' delicious. Cheers to that. So, okay, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, man. See ya. Big thanks goes out to Matt once again, and thanks to all of you for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show, and while you're there, if you don't mind rating and even leaving a short review, it helps way more than you think. Please give Standard H a follow on Instagram, at Standard H underscore, as well as the podcast page, at Standard H underscore podcast. Shout out to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for the theme track as well as the clear audio for the noise-canceling headphones. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Standard Age Podcast in two weeks' time. Thanks again for listening.